But I think the most important thing when we as leaders make mistakes is that we own them. We recognize it's our mistakes. We dare to talk about them to people because we are all human and showing that vulnerability as a leader is actually a, an act of role modeling and it's incredibly important to do and they learn from them. So I think if we do that, we're probably in this to help each other and, and, and we'll be okay. But inadvertently, we all make mistakes at all levels of the organization. Hi there, I'm James Ashton. Leading Goes International this episode with perspectives from one of the world's most famous consumer goods companies that's capitalizing on one of the biggest trends of our times, the boom in pet ownership. Leading is supported by Lockton, the world's largest privately owned independent insurance broker. Lockton's independence means its 8,000 associates worldwide are free to focus solely on their clients' risk and insurance needs. To hear more from Lockton experts, please visit lockedinternationalcom slash GB slash insight. So to this episode, Paul Weirauch is global president of Mars Pet Care, the largest division of the family-owned food empire still best known for its chocolate bars and chewing gum. Selling brands including Whiskers and Pedigree, the business also runs thousands of pet hospitals and comprises a workforce of 85,000 operating across 55 countries. In this latest episode of Leading, we discuss keeping up with demand as pet ownership boomed during lockdown, concerns over rip-off vets fees, how Paul navigated his way up through this global organisation, the founding Mars family's approach to leadership, and how taking his dog Twixie to work is good for business. It's an enjoyable episode. After strong trading during lockdown, I began the conversation asking Paul what his biggest challenge is today. Uh, first of all, James, thank you very much for having me on your podcast. It has been good for business, but I think, you know, just before going there, I think it's very important. This is a pandemic, is a human tragedy. We have more than two and a half million people who have passed away in the pandemic. And as you and I are speaking right now, India is in a very, very critical place. So is Brazil. And we must never forget that. So it's all very nice. We talk about uh, business and it's going very well here, but you know, what has to weigh on all of us is actually what is going on in society right now. But clearly the pet business has benefited, as you're saying, and it's benefited for a very simple reason is that we have spent more time at home than ever in the pandemic. We were asked to work from home. And when we are home, we are lonely. And also we were anxious about what was going on, where was this going? And their pets have an absolute unique role for us, helping us deal with anxiety, making us more calm, etc. So people have been buying more pet food. They have been adopted more puppy and kittens around the world. And therefore, from that side of the business, it's been good. I will say, though, if you have been a dog walker or if you have had a boarding facility, then this has not been good for that type of business. And you might hear, actually, I'm joined by my dog, Twixie, who has joined me in the office today. Doing some reading on you, I know that Twixie does join you at work on occasion. But look, you rightly talk about the pandemic, absolutely. And to rewind in a year and a little over a year now, you could obviously see there was that commercial, that money-making opportunity, but you also had to think about your people, your suppliers. How did you run things differently over the last year? If we all dial back to December 2019, we heard something happened in Wuhan in China. And I think later we heard about it from Bergamo in Italy, etc. So what we tried to do was to take the learnings from China and find out what did the science tell us here. And very early on, the advice was social distancing. 
avoid contact with surfaces, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So what we immediately did was to implement social distancing in more than 80 factories. We then implemented it in more than 3,000 veterinary hospitals around the world. And all of this had to be done by a large part of the company was working from home using digital tools, etc. But it's very important to bear in mind that, in fact, 83% of our associates, the workforce, had no choice about working from home. They had to go into a factory to produce food for the pets. Some of the food, therapeutic food, that if the pets didn't get it, they would actually pass away. And the same for our hospital operations. So trying to manage this situation where you yourself cannot be with the associates that work for you, yet supporting them the best possible way with the science that is available to put safety and their well-being first has been a very, very difficult leadership task. Because as you say, you're remote from most of them most of the time anyway. I think you've got 85,000 colleagues across 55 countries or so, but particularly through the pandemic, you were always going to be the guy on the end of the Zoom call. You couldn't really get any closer than that. That's correct. We needed some new tools in the toolbox as leaders. And this could be a virtual coffee meeting. It could be a virtual meeting visiting supermarkets and pet stores, veterinary hospitals around the world. It could be visiting uh, virtually our factories and very importantly, connecting with people and also recognizing the situation they find themselves in. Some of them would manage very difficult situation in hotspots. We had a distribution center in Wuhan very early on and talking to our people there with a translator and asking how they are feeling because they were afraid of going to work, of course. They were afraid about what was happening to their families and we would definitely had conversations at that time that we didn't really have in the past. And there were new tools that came into our toolbox, all of it remotely. And, you know, the conversation you have remotely is not quite the same as the one you have when you're standing next to each other, maybe at the coffee machine and asking, how are you? Because even though if you answer, I'm fine, maybe I could feel that maybe it wasn't fine and you could ask a follow-up question. And that becomes infinitely harder on a Teams or Zoom call or what have you. Are things largely back to normal now, the business as you see it today? Do you feel like the pandemic is behind you? We certainly feel that in the UK, but of course, there are still a record number of cases across the globe. No, we don't feel at all, actually. It is back to normal. Thankfully, uh, the United Kingdom is leading together with a couple of countries when it comes to vaccinations. But countries like India, where we have a large business, Brazil, where we have a very large business, it is not at all the case. I mean, indeed, I sit in the European Union and uh, crossing borders here is very difficult. We are very few people in the office. So I think we are not at all back. And I also think this back to normal, I'm not quite sure what the normal will be. I think it will be redefined somewhat. It will be redefined for what it means going to the office because we have all had an experience of, of working from home and I think the future will have more hybrid working. I also think that hygiene levels overall would get a, a much bigger focus. We may have a passport very soon that can show we are vaccinated. When we cross borders, we have had at least one airline, to my knowledge, that said you cannot board that airline unless you are fully vaccinated. That's a bit of a change. And I think the way we do business has changed as well. What about the opportunity? And I have to focus on the UK because it's the closest market to me, but clearly you have a global perspective. There are something like 17 million pet owning homes in the UK now. 
gone up by three to four million in the pandemic. Is this as good as it gets, do you think? Do people get bored of pets as they go back to work and normal in inverted commas? Is it harder for your business? There are some concerns around, you know, going back to work, what would happen to the pets. We did a survey recently in the United States amongst executives with one of our veterinary hospitals called Banfield. And I don't think the data would be any different in the UK. uh, 50% of executives would actually welcome that you could bring your pets into the office. And and as you said, you know, I have the benefit of Twixy lying next to me here. And normally when we are more people in the office, we have 10, 15 dogs running around and actually it helps the atmosphere. It makes it less stressed. We don't feel guilt that the pets are left at home. So I think there's change coming here. But I also think if you take a longer time horizon and look at what has happened in the human-animal relationship. 40 years ago, a dog uh, would, would, would live outside, maybe in a dog house. And there is an American saying, then it moved up on the porch, then it came into the living room, then the pets, cats included, moved up on the first floor, and actually 60% of millennials are sleeping in the same bed as their pet. So the relationship, the bonding over time between human beings and pets has increased. And that is, needless to say, good for a pet care company as well. It's also good for human beings. It helps us manage emotions. It helps us manage stress. It helps us combat loneliness. Save the children uh, were out with data that the anxiety amongst teenagers not being at school is quite high. And, you know, I have two teenage children at home and I have a have a daughter at university in the UK and I have certainly seen how they have benefited from in that short break to be able to just sit down and cuddle Eddie or Twixie uh, at, at, at home. So, of course, this is good for, for, for uh, a pet care company. There are also the concerns about maybe the shelters will be filled up at some stage. So one of our obligations as a company that, that has make a better world for a pet as our purpose is to work with shelters and make sure that we can find new loving and caring homes for those pets that will become relinquished at some stage. So you think of, because I I interviewed on this podcast, the woman running Battersea Dogs Home a few months ago, and and they fear that there is going to be that return of pets at some point when lockdown ends. But because everything has been so elongated, we haven't quite got to that moment yet, have we? She is absolutely right about that. The data we have from the financial crisis of 2007-2008 shows that actually there are a couple of things at play. First one is the economic impact on house evictions. So many people will move house and maybe the new place they get to will not allow pets. So one of the things we are talking to builders about, regulators about is better cities for pets. I mean, can you imagine that you're being asked to leave an apartment but as part of dealing with that loss, you're also being asked to let go of one of your best friends in your life, your pet. This has devastating effects on people. We have not seen it because of the elongated effect. And the government will, of course, have to turn off the taps. We have kept the economy going with huge investments in the UK and in other countries to keep the wheel spinning. But that can't continue. And that's the moment where we fear that Battersea will be full and we will do everything we can to help all shelters around the UK to find new and loving and caring homes for the pets. That's the obligation we have with the purpose of a better world for pets in our company. Tell me about your long-term plan, because to put 
Mars pet care into context, I think it's more than half of the wider Mars that we think of. And still people think of chocolate and confectionery and they don't automatically think of pet care, I don't think. And then within your pet care, you have all of the nutrition, the food, pedigree, whiskers and so on. And then as you've already referred to, quite a heritage of veterinary hospitals, animal hospitals, which you've added to. I guess you want to grow. Do you grow as part of Mars? Do you grow those two different legs evenly? Or what would you like to do with the business next? The thing we really want to do when we get out of bed in the morning is to make a better world for pets. And if you think about that, the work we've done is to build on a great heritage. It actually all started in the United Kingdom in 1935, where the Mars family bought a company called the Chatter Brothers. And out of that came the pet food business, which at the time, the family simply moved around the world and built up businesses, fantastic businesses of pet food. And then about 20 years ago, we bought a brand called Royal Canet, which is therapeutic food. So, you know, the dog Twixie lying next to me suffers from elbow dysplasia. So she has relatively weak joints and needs a particular fortified nutrition to have a high quality life. And then John Mars in 1996 took a small stake in a pet hospital in the United States. And some years ago, we sat down and thought, but if we truly want a purpose-driven business that creates a better world for pet, what does that business have to compose of? So we were thinking about, starting with ourselves, if Paul and James needs a healthy life, we need good quality nutrition, we need access to good, affordable health care, and then you and I have a great benefit that Monty, your dog, doesn't have and that my two dogs don't have, which is that we can speak, they can't. So we started working on how can we give use science and data to give the pets a voice. And if we could combine those three elements, we would have businesses that all made up a better world for pets and give the pet a voice that way. And that's when we decided we have to get into veterinary hospitals to have high quality and affordable care around the world to add that element to our business. And then in the background with our Walsham uh, Pet Care Science Institute and data and analytics team, we have done lots of research of pets to develop possibilities and treatments over time that improve the quality of life of pets. So we want to grow the business. We want to continue to develop on our purpose, but it has more legs. But I think it really starts with the ability to attract fantastic associates to our business and to build on strong foundations of science and of data and analytics in all aspects of the business. You're not limiting your ambition at this stage by the sounds of it. Actually, you know, the pandemic, if, if anything, incentivizes us to go faster on some of these aspects. And I think many other businesses have, have had the same experience in the pandemic. There were reports of a shortage of pet supplies because of all the things we've just talked about. Have you run short? Have you kept up with demand? We have kept up with demand somewhat. We have had shortages in some areas, and it's actually been at a couple of levels. There's been a shortage of certain raw materials. And then we have had panic buying early on, where we ran short for some time in a couple of places. And we have increased investment substantially in our factories and in our hospitals during the pandemic. And we have seen that across the industry, actually across the globe. But the most important thing is to keep up with the demand in the business, we have had to spend most of our time to making sure our operations are safe, that we look after our, our close to 100,000 
associates in the business and support them to make sure they can run safe operations. Where we have seen shortages, actually not just in pets, but in human supply chain, human food, it has been where businesses have not invested early on and enough in keeping the rules of social distancing, making sure that the operations have been really tight and used the data available to manage the pandemic the best way. And that's where the bulk of the effort has gone in and that has enabled us, apart from one week in one factory in the world, we have been able to keep all factories open. And I, I knock on wood because the pandemic is not over yet. Can I ask Paul briefly on the, the other leg of a business, which is around the hospitals and the veterinary care and so on? There's quite a lot of headlines now, even yesterday, talking about rising prices of animal bills going to the vet and so on. How do you convince your customers that they're getting a good deal, that you're not ripping them off, you're not trading on their emotions? So first of all, the most important relationship you have between a veterinarian and a pet partner is one of trust. So we need to make sure that all our associates around the world live up to the principles of the way we run this business. And that is a relationship that needs to be built between the veterinarian and the pet parent over time. This is a very important part of running a veterinary business to build this trust level. I've seen the reports. I'm not going to comment upon other people's businesses. What I can say for sure is that you cannot operate a veterinary business unless you are really in tune with what goes on in the industry, that you get out of bed in the morning to look after the pets. There's a big passion in this industry. And as the biggest veterinary operator around the world, we have a massive responsibility to be the ones that are forced for good in the way that our associates are treated, in the way our pets, our clients are treated in the hospital. And that's the management principle of Mars. It's been sitting in the principles by which we run this company that was established in 1947. And that's really important to us. But I'm not going to comment on the reports. I've also read them in the British pressure over the weekend. But it does affect the, the reputation of the industry, doesn't it? Whether you will comment on it or not, but it, it's not a good sign. It's absolutely not a good sign, and it does uh, impact the reputation of the industry. And as I said, the way to deal with it is the right behavior in every engagement with pet parents and explain the cost of care. Explain exactly why people pay for certain services in a hospital, and that's the most important thing we can equip all our associates to do. I want to come back to the job today and the challenges today, Paul, but I also want to dive back into your career. You started out in chewing gum in your native Denmark, Sturmerol, six years at Nestle, and then joined Mars in 2000, age 32. You were leading on the Snickers brand at the time, and you were based in Slough, made famous for the office and other things. Did you regard yourself as a leader at that early stage, or were you very much still learning how to do things? I'm still learning how to do things. I think that's a journey that is never ending. I think independent of where you are in an organization, you are a leader. Whether it is a project you're running together with other people, actually, whether you are a member of a sports club or the scouts or whatever you, we all have a leadership role that is important to us. So I very much looked at the opportunities that have been provided in a great company like Mars that has given an opportunity to develop. So I think the dimensions to look at leadership are plentiful. They are not just people leadership. They're not just a given turnover. It is actually the impact we have on other people when we work with them. And I think that's the way to look at leadership overall. And then hopefully, I've been privileged to have three great employers. Today, I have a fantastic employer in Mars more than 21 years. It's a family company that is owned by a family and 
takes a very long-term view of the world. Uh, we can think in generations, not in quarters. And that, I honestly think to your previous question, it's one of the things that have enabled us to do the right things in the businesses we own, whether it is our confectionery business or whether it is our pet food business or indeed the veterinary business you talked about. We, we have a salary to build a business, a responsibility to build a business for generations to come. This episode of Leading is supported by Lockton. We'll get back to the conversation shortly, but first here's Chris Brown, Lockton's managing partner, on formulating a post-Brexit leadership strategy. I think on occasions that Brexit's been overshadowed by the pandemic, but looking at how Brexit has changed the business environment around trading partnerships, cross-border supply chains, the risks associated with this are significant and need to be addressed as a leader. One of the other things, though, is that Brexit, without a doubt, has and will continue to bring new opportunities. And it's important that as a leader, I'm looking forward and assessing those opportunities for the benefit of both our clients and also the business. Mars, the broader group, 110 years old, roughly $40 billion of sales. And as you say, family controlled, you know, right back to day one. How do you describe coming into that and for people who are outside the company what is the leadership of that company like as a whole is it defined by that long-term nature or is it more than that it's more than that i can share my experience when i uh, got a call one day and said would you think about joining mars and i was invited to slough i came from a great company i turned up and i realized there were no offices and you just bumped into people and and as i walked along the people introduced me to say, ah, this is the European president. And I thought, wow, I get to meet the European president. And then they explained how, to me, how Mars invested in developing leaders, invested in educating me and giving me opportunities. And I thought, wow, this is my home. This is what I've been looking for. You know, 21 years later, it's pretty much the same. It's just much bigger. But the opportunities when you join of getting different experiences of mentorship and development and, you know, We've lived in several countries. I have two children born in the UK, one in the Czech Republic. As a family, we have had fantastic possibilities that certainly I didn't have when I grew up in a uh, otherwise nice village in Denmark. One thing that characterizes you and characterizes people who have done well in, in these big international companies, Paul, is the mobility. So I suppose the family, you know, roll their eyes and go, dad's on the move again. We better get the suitcases packed. Just going back to Slough. So it's not an office. It's actually a factory. They invited you to a factory and you were walking around there. Yes. I see. I can see how that would open your eyes. Absolutely. And it was great because we all called associate. There's no executive car park. And, you know, we all have an opportunity to engage with each other and, you know, Today, I sit in Brussels. It's pretty much the same, but there's no factory where I sit here. But we, are, we have pets around the office and fantastic colleagues to learn from. What advice would you give to people who come into those big multinationals, maybe at the same level as you? I mean, I'm conscious that from 2000, by 2011, you're on the leadership team. You've been via various roles. As you say, Czech Republic, you've led food in Europe. 11 years to get onto the leadership feels pretty quick. So I'm interested in how you say that everyone is a leader and has to lead the people around them and beneath them and so on. How do you stand out? How do you navigate a big organization like Mars? So first of all, I think having an open mind. Big corporations tend to offer a lot of opportunities. And, and every time an opportunity is proposed to you, you have a choice of having an open mind saying yes, maybe, or saying no. So my first advice would be be curious, have an open mind about the opportunity that it presented. The other one would be, of course, make sure that the job at hand is being solved in a professional way. 
and that you take people with you. At the end of the day, we are looking around ourselves and say, would I like to work for this person or do I have to work for this person? And there's a really big difference between those two. And I've tried to hold myself to standards whereby I overinvest in developing teams, I overinvest in developing people because that's what great leaders did for me in the past. And I could see the benefit of it being young and the, the growth opportunities I had. So my advice would be have an open mind, be curious about the world and the business and stay humble. We have a responsibility as leaders to serve our people. It's not the other way around. We serve the organization. We serve our people. That's an honor. It's not a title you walk around and flag and say, oh, I am the and whatever title. It's a servant leadership that matters because that's the way that you deliver on the purpose of the business. You deliver the results. It's through that relationship. You've talked about the family. I mean, in your ascent and now, do you feel the family input in everything you do? An outsider's view would be that I think it was Stephen Badger who stepped back as chairman recently. It feels like the family is not as visible in the business as it has been in previous times. When I joined the CEO worldwide was John Mars and Forrest Mars. It no longer is. It's Grant Reed, who is our CEO. But the family is on the supervisory board of the company with some advisors and is very much involved in the business. They're the owners. They're the ones that ensure that we in management live up to the principles of the business. They're the one that, that governs to make sure we make the right decision for the long term. But they are not at all calling every five minutes and say, can I just double check that? That decision, actually, the most frequent phone call you will get for them is, how can I help you achieve what we want to do for the business? And taking that long-term view is extraordinary because that's what has kept a family company where the supervisory board is now the, the fourth generation, has kept it going for more than 110 years. So they are very much involved. And also in your previous question about leadership, they are involved because if you own a company this size, you have a very big responsibility not just to the people that work in the company, but also to society. And together, it is our job to make sure that Mars Incorporated, as an operator in society, creates a positive societal impact. That's the type of involvement we have with our Mars family, our shareholders, and that's what can keep the company free and uh, make the right decisions for the long-term interest of the business and not react to a bad quarter, if you will. Given your background, Paul, why do you think people who've had the sales training, I increasingly see them come up through organizations into the CEO role? What is it about what you learned early on? I think there are probably a couple of functions that statistically creep up to the CEO role. One is finance as well. And by the way, particularly in economic crisis, you would see an over-indexing of finance people as well. I think there's a very important element in sales that you learn, which is being close to the customer. At the end of the day, if you're not doing a good job with the customer, unfortunately, it's called the customer in our food business, the client, the pet parent in the, in, in the veterinary business. That proximity and understanding what goes on forces you to think externally. And one of, I think, the trappings of big corporations is that you can end up sitting talking to yourself. And you really need to root the direction that you give the company in external thinking. What are the trends? What are the clients want? What are the customers wanting? And they're Sales is a fantastic training. And I think sort of the 
DNA of Mars has been to encourage people to go through many functions. So if I take our leadership team in Mars Incorporated, we have people that have started in finance, we have people that have started in science, we have people that have started in marketing, but all have ended up being general managers in some state. So I think the breadth of thinking is important, but specifically to sales. I think it roots you in thinking externally about the business you are in and, and avoid that we can sit and talk to ourselves, which is such a dangerous thing in, in business. You have been around the business and you've been around the geographies as well. So as of January 15, you've been in your current role, Global President Leading Mars Pet Care. And then how did that come about? How did you feel about that step up? Because it feels like a natural progression, but pet care is still one that's blossoming within the business. I had the privilege to run our food business prior to that. There was a CEO change at the time. Paul Michaels retired after 12 successful years. Grant Reed took over. And sort of there was a rocade going on in the company. And I had the privilege to be offered to run our pet care business, which at the time was also a thriving business. So actually, as a leader, the first thing you do is you think, oh, my Lord, Paul, you better make sure that it doesn't go downhill, but it continues the progression. You may not show that on the next town hall you have, but it definitely goes through your mind that, oops, this is a bigger responsibility. And then you start thinking about which direction would you like to take the company and who are the people you listen to in that way, you know, building out the business, building out the business strategy and making sure that the mass leadership team is being kept very closely involved in it. And who have you listened to over those years? Are there obvious mentors that you turn to either inside the company or outside? There absolutely is. There are probably also people who say, I haven't listened, <laughs> just, just to, uh, to recognize that. I have been lucky to have great people inside the company that have given me good advice. I have one or two people outside the company. Uh, I have one in academia as well from a business school that is my sounding board, or, or two actually, that uh, one on the leadership side, one on the strategy side, and then make sure that in the team that we operate, so our pet care leadership team, that we try and foster an open dialogue and have the real conversation. So not a lip service conversation, but go in to have deep conversations and dare to critique each other, positive and negative, but to have it set in the room in order to progress the agenda. And that has sort of been what I've tried to do, but I'm also sure, James, that there might be one or two that would say, Paul didn't listen. <laughs> but we are humans. We're all full of failure. Yeah, I'll take a read on Glassdoor and see what they really make of you. <laughs> Fast forwarding from that early 2015 when you put in the role at Leading Pet Care, I mean, it's abundantly clear, you know, two years later, Mars buys VCH, which is this big animal hospitals, veterinary care business for $8 billion, I think one of the biggest acquisitions Mars has ever made. There's no sense there that Mars is sitting still in this activity and you're the guy who's got to make it work. So do you bring VCA to them or do you have to prove how it can all mesh together. You say I'm the guy. Thankfully, I have a fantastic team to help me doing that. And of course, we first sent out VCA to find out if there was an interest to, to work together. And thankfully, there was because it's an, an amazing business. And then we engaged with our shareholders to try and paint the picture, what this could look like in the future. And that takes a lot of work. And thankfully, you know, all of our shareholders have pets. So it's not like we need to explain how the pet industry works. That's one of the advantages being a family business where the shares are owned for generations, whereas I think the latest data on public listed companies, about a third of the shares are owned 24 hours. So, so we can actually talk to our shareholders when we make these kind of moves, which is uh, 
a good opportunity, but it's painting a picture about what can the future look like and what is the role and the difference we can make to pet in crafting that future. That's the big conversation. In normal times, how would you keep in touch? I would always think of people leading FMCG companies. Yes, you could tour the factory. But I guess with this, you can probably be there in a mask and gown actually in the operating theatre. I mean, this is a service business, really, rather than just selling things in boxes. We essentially have a food business and a healthcare business, and they don't operate by the same rules. So I have had to learn uh, what are the rules of healthcare. And thankfully, we had already Banfield, then we acquired VCA, as you mentioned, Linneos in the UK. We acquired them with fantastic leaders. So we managed to retain, in many cases, the founders behind these companies that could help us. How do we make sure that we run the healthcare business as a healthcare business and the CPG company as a CPG company? And it comes back to your question about an open mind and really learning and be curious about this and then enable them to operate the best possible they they could and they can, and then behind the scenes collaborate on science and on data and talent development, etc. So we have very much had to learn to operate a completely new business in Mars Incorporated that today has more than 70,000 associates around the world. I wonder why Mars has never got into human healthcare. There seems to be obvious lines to be drawn. I think we have enough of our plate with a fantastic confectionery business, a human food business and a pet care business. But you never know one day we are in this for hopefully centuries to come. So maybe uh, there's another James, another Paul interviewing each other in, uh, in 20, 30, 40 years. And, and indeed, we may be. You never know. What about regrets as you've led this business or previous roles, Paul? What's gone wrong? Oh, lots of things have gone wrong, particularly in a pandemic such as now. You try and find your way early on and you may not have been able to do your job sufficiently. I know I have not been able to connect enough with leaders in operations in 100 countries around the world. Thankfully, I have teams that can compensate, but sometimes they want to talk to the leader of the business as well. So I know that I have not been able to reach out as much as I would have liked to. I know that things have gone too fast at times and maybe I've not been able to support my people the right way in the pandemic. But I think the most important thing when we as leaders make mistakes is that we own them. We recognize it's our mistakes. We dare to talk about them to people because we are all human. And showing that vulnerability as a leader is actually an act of role modeling. And it's incredibly important to do. And they learn from them. So I think if we do that, we're probably in this to help each other and we'll be okay. But inadvertently, We all make mistakes at all levels of the organization. Do you mentor people either internally or externally? Yes, I do. I do mentor people internally. In fact, our management team, we have a process where we look at talents every uh, twice a year, actually. And we allocate mentorship depending on capabilities and good match. And then we take time out several hours here and there. We have visits where we give advice. And sometimes it's a sounding board. Sometimes it's a capability that needs to be developed. Sometimes it's advice to the business they're running, but there's quite a big effort put into developing the right leadership for the future. So we all do that at all levels in the organization. And in fact, I have a member of the family that mentors me that sees how do Paul show up when we're in a board meeting and gives a perspective. I have a board advisor that does the same. So throughout the entire organization, it's a topic that is taking very, very seriously in Mars. And how do you switch off from it all, Paul? I guess you're going to say you you take Twixie for a walk around the block. (laughs) Yes. It's very important in leadership to try and look after yourself, both physically and and mentally. So the way I uh, switch off is 
take my dog for a walk. It's running, exercise, keep myself fit and being with the family. It's lovely when you particularly have teenage children, you get a lot of great feedback from them. And, uh, and it can certainly take your mind off work very, very quickly when you come through the door. And that's really lovely. And it's important. It's such an important thing because we can't run around. I know it's very popular to say, oh, we are working all the time. We are so busy. Uh, the economy is 24-7. Any psychologist would tell you that the world doesn't work that way. The mind doesn't work like that. If I do not look after myself, I cannot look after my team and the 100,000 associates that work for me. And I have some time, so I'd like to go back to the product. You talk about what is being developed and what next for animals. And I suppose in human food, we call it nutraceuticals now, don't we? The Venn diagram overlapping between medicine and foodstuffs. And I guess you're developing similar. You talk about what your dog needs. So where does that market naturally go? It's a market that will increase at several levels. So we see the rise of supplements, but we also see the rise of very tailor-made specific food. So I'll give an example. We have a Fitbit for dogs, you could say, that's called Whistle. Three years ago, we decided to take more than 40,000 dogs and collect data of how much the dogs were drinking, how much they were sleeping, gait analysis, licking, scratching. So we tried to give, in this case, the dogs, soon the cats, a voice through science. And that enables us to identify what is the pathology we're dealing with and then develop both products in terms of food or supplements, but also care paths to deal with it in our veterinary hospitals. So we very much try to take a data-driven approach to the product development through this product called Whistle. So I can give an example. You know, I was visiting one of our factories in Germany recently, and I get a notification that my other dog, Eddie, was licking himself an awful lot. I called my wife and said, daughter, do you mind checking what Eddie is doing? I had this notification. So he had scratched himself on the inner thigh, probably running off on the battlefields of Waterloo where we live. And then she could tend to the wound. It didn't need veterinary care. She could do it there. But it's trying to use this to develop the needs of the pet. So this market will continue to grow very strongly. I can tell an anecdote. I love running. And one of my dogs gets a fortification for joint weakness. And my vet said, Paul, I see you running in front of my house. You're 50 years old now. You should actually take the same fortification. So actually, at the, at the request of my vet, I went back and Googled it, and I take the same fortification in a slightly different form for my old knees when I go running. So this market is developing in a similar way to human health. It really is in the way that we all want to live longer. We want our pets to live longer, I suppose. Absolutely. I think I've asked all of it, Paul. What are the secrets have you not shared with me? I think the opportunity in a pet business is that we enhance the emotional bond between uh, human beings and pets. And that's a really important one. It combats loneliness, it combats anxiety, particularly we've seen this in the pandemic. This will continue. I think it's really important for business to take a long-term view. Some of the investments that are required for businesses to thrive and not the least to continue to thrive have to be long-term investments both in the way we run our business and the way we develop our people. And as a family business, we are in a very strong place in, in pursuing these objectives and, and delivering on it. And businesses need to act responsibly in, in society and be a positive force for good. And that sort of moral calling almost can only increase in the years to come for businesses. And I think that's a good thing. So great high quality companies will have a great future ahead of us 
And I think the next generations of talents that are joining businesses are asking these questions of us. What are you doing for society? Why should I work for you? When I graduated and went to the first job interviews, I asked, Is, can I have a good career here? And then what's the salary? I mean, those questions don't exist any longer. When you talk to young graduates today, it is why should I work for you? And what good do you do for society? And I think that's a really positive change for all of us. And we should listen to the young generation. I mean, that's very interesting. And I take on board all those questions that they ask in interviews. Don't they want a good salary as well? They absolutely want a good salary. And when they join high quality companies, they will get a good salary as well. And it's, it's an area where we are investing a lot. And particularly because we have acquired businesses and at times seen things we don't like to see as a family owned company. And we have uh, invested substantially in salaries and benefits and healthcare, which has not always been the case when we have taken over companies that have been run by short term investors. Paul, thanks so much for the conversation. It's good to talk to you. Thank you so much for having me, James. Thanks for listening to this episode of Leading with James Ashton. Please rate and review us if you like what you've heard. For more animal-loving leaders like Paul, you can dive into the Leading Archive to hear from the recently departed CEO of Battersea Dogs and Cats Home, that's Claire Horton, and also Becky Spate from the RSPB. This episode was supported by Lockton, a global independent insurance broker whose people have the freedom to think and act in the best interest of their clients. For more details, go to lockedinternational.com slash gb slash insight. And of course, check out leadingpod.com. More episodes coming soon.